You're listening to the Jay's Journal Podcast. I'm your host, Ari Shapiro. And on tonight's show, we've got Dow Steve from Rogers Sportsnet, Jeff Falbo from Deep Leagues, and Chris Henderson from jaysjournal.com, the site expert. We're going to be talking about the Blue Jays and how the team is starting to become maybe a harbinger of good things to come for suffering fans who are looking at the performance and gradual development of players like Richard Urania, K. Oscar Hernandez, Carlos Ramirez, and what will soon be a plethora, I'm sure, of other players that will be brought up during this month to be given the opportunity to set some expectations for next year. And again, let's reinforce my continuing narrative, if you will, when it comes to what I think the Blue Jays front office should do, which is invest in their 2018 year to create a bridge to the 2019 reality that will be Vlad Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette, and a host of other top-flight prospects who are probably one to two years away. But more importantly, fans need to be given a certain reassurance in appreciating what the leadership group of this team can do, both from an executive management standpoint, on-field coaching, and of course, leading by example on the field with your veteran leaders, such as Josh Donaldson, Russell Martin, and Troy Tilowitzki. So needless to say, these next few weeks are important. They're important because you should be paying attention. You should be appreciating what this franchise is showcasing as the promise of then taking your hard-earned dollars, taking whatever disposable income you put aside for baseball, and rewarding it. Rewarding it with exciting, spontaneous, credible, competitive baseball, capable of keeping your imagination running wild and indulging in the escapism, if you will, that baseball is really all about. So without further delay, let's get to a roundtable. And as mentioned, I've got three incredibly prodigious and brilliant baseball minds on the show with me for the roundtable today is Jeff Falbo from DeepLeagues.com, the site expert of Jay's Journal. We've got Chris Henderson with us. And of course, one of my favorite guests from Sportsnet, he's a contributor, an author, a writer, and blogger, Dow Steed. Gentlemen, it's a pleasure having all three of you here. I want to start with you, Dow. Let's talk about the last few days of watching Blue Jays baseball, which I think you'll agree has been a bit of a novelty for us as fans this year. We're witnessing timely hitting. We're witnessing fantastic outfield defense. We're witnessing pitching performances that have poise and fortitude. Where was this before, and is this simply a product of getting the opportunity to see good young players finally get their chance instead of some of these underachieving, highly paid schmucks? (laughs) Schmucks. Well, I don't know. I mean, in a long season, you uh, you have certain little runs that are better than others, and, and, I mean, this year hasn't had very many of them stitched together, so... Uh, the longest win streak for the Blue Jays this year is five games. So, I mean, I guess now we're on streak watch for the Blue Jays. Uh, you know, I mean, I think that there's a little bit of this, which is having uh, having some players come in and, and, and play well in their first uh, shot. Uh, some of it's uh, getting some people into the lineup or having a little bit of added flexibility with the lineup. I don't know. I mean, this is just one of those little streaks that happens, and and I guess you you're grateful to to have some uh, some decent baseball played and and something that's uh, somewhat enjoyable. But certainly, uh, I think that 
it's been a breath of fresh air to see Tay Oscar Hernandez and and uh, Richard Urania as uh, as part of the as part of the team over the last little bit and and you know I don't think that we have to get too carried away with uh, who they are and what they're going to be but it's fun and baseball's supposed to be fun right. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head for me with a few of those things. You, you look at those two young guys in particular, and, you know, there's, there's some pressure, um, you know, just because they're getting to the highest level for the first time. But in the same breath, it's also the expectations. They're not jumping into a team in the middle of a pennant race and trying to, you know, trying to make an impact. And so these guys are getting an opportunity to play some pretty low-pressure baseball where, with all due respect to the veteran players on the roster, the bar's been set pretty low. So, I mean, they come in and, and they just kind of do their thing. You know, you're, I, I always mispronounce his name, uh, Urena. You know, somebody please correct me so I'm not that guy. But, he, uh, you know, he's hitting better at the major league level than he did in A this year. And he's playing outstanding defense. And you, you can just see the excitement in the guy, both in the dugout and on the field and in the batter's box. It's just refreshing. It's nice to see some energy. Yeah, I, I too, I also get a little bit nervous watching games at the end of the year. It's uh you know, it's hope, yes, for next year, but it's also false hope because, um, you know, you say, oh, don't worry, the kids are going to be here next year, and now we're going to compete. But I think this team still needs a lot of changes. Um, you know, the outfield needs to be revamped. And, uh, you know, but it is nice to see some kids, especially the relief pitchers. Um, Ramirez, as I, I think his name is. I mean, the guy hasn't let in a run all year, and he's been uh, lights out in the major league as well. Jeff, is there something to be called from recognizing a team that will fail to ever reach 500 during the course of the entire regular season? I was just thinking about that the other day. There were several efforts. I think they won a grand total of 0 for 9, the Blue Jays did, in their effort to get back to 500. What does it say that they were struggling with such inconsistency that we as fans would then turn around and say, hey, 2018 sounds great. These young players look like they may pan out. It looks like management's going to support this team, even though they're asking us to spend more money on the team. Are you buying into the notion that the Blue Jays will be competitive with the pieces they have for 2018? Well, I don't know. With an 18% uh, ticket hike, uh, they better be increasing uh, their payroll and the team. Uh, but... Um... I don't know. I, I I I think you still have an old team. You, uh, you still have a slow team. Uh, the the Jays uh, are, are. It's going to be tough to get out of contracts like Tulowitzki. Um I, I know there's been some rumbling about some people not liking Morales and his speed on the bases as well. Um, you know, but uh, I don't know. You, you can't inflex your lineup with a bunch of rookies and then expect uh, amazing results either. As we've talked about this kind of question this topic throughout the season it's amazing how many times i've kind of flip-flopped back and forth and the more that i look at the 2018 season the more to me um you know it's it hinges for, well first and foremost for me it hinges on the starting rotation you know if we can get anything from Aaron sanchez we didn't get anything unfortunately from him this year with with the finger and nail and the blister issues and now he's got a now he's got a ligament issue in the finger as well you know if that guy can come back and be a, a Cy young contender like we thought he would be this year, then that makes a tremendous impact. We can sign Mark Estrada, re-sign Marco Estrada, and have him perform, you know, closer to what we expected from him this year as well. The rotation's in great shape when you start talking about pieces with four guys. So those two, in addition to Hap and Stroman, the more Hap throws this year, the more I've, I've enjoyed watching him, and the more faith I have in him as well. And then, of course, I mean, you know, they, they have to make decisions on Josh Donaldson whether 
whether or not they want to explore trading him. And as you said, Jeff, there, there are some holes that still need to be filled. And I think Irina, and again, I hope I'm not mispronouncing that, but um, I think the exciting thing about him is that he's providing a bit more uh, depth in the middle infield. And uh, that's something that obviously this team is going to need. I think that that uh, you've definitely uh, touched on something that would be important to me for next year, which is uh, which is the starting rotation and and uh, getting more out of Aaron Sanchez. Uh, I think that that's uh, a real key. And if not Aaron Sanchez, then getting uh, decent performances uh, uh, from the uh, the starters. You know, a, a big part of what this season has been about has been. Uh, even some of their better pitchers kind of five and diving uh, for extended periods during this year. And then, uh, you know, leaving them with the, the bullpen that if they haven't pitched the most innings in baseball, they're, they're within the top three for sure. Uh, so, you know, I mean, uh, if you if you don't have starting pitching that's of a sufficient quality, then what you end up with is, is a lot of sort of subsequent uh, problems of you know uh, an offense that then has to chase after the game, uh, um, and and a bullpen that has to try and patch over um, uh, uh, way too many innings. So you know that's going to be an important part. Uh, is this the 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 team that is going to compete in 2018? I don't think it is, but I think that we have to wait to see what it is that gets added uh, in this offseason. I think that they're probably not going to find themselves at the top of the heap in terms of uh, chasing free agents, but it wouldn't surprise me to see them go after someone who is maybe a bit, uh, a bit, uh, you know, not, not necessarily a sneaky pick, but uh, mm-hmm. someone who's maybe not amongst the, 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 the top of the class um, or, uh, potentially uh, taking somebody's expensive contract and and uh, eating it. That's really where potentially the having some financial heft here could serve this team well, which is to go and to either eat a contract or, frankly, to eat one of their own, such as Tulo, and and to, to move on from that. All right, just one added note. Um, did this outfield that the Blue Jays have. I think this year's uh, tandem, this group, <laughs> has had to have been one of the worst offensive outputs I- I've seen in years. It's been a merry-go-round in left field. I mean, Pilar started on fire and then has just tailed off for three months and has come back a little bit. And while Batista's flirting with uh, the Mendoza line all year, I mean, the-, the outfield really needs to be upgraded. There's very limited power coming from the outfield, and just just the consistency of defenses uh, needs to be improved. I, I think it's one of the worst in the league. I, I think you're onto something there because without the expectations of power and offense that they were supposed to bring, the original threesome that ultimately turned into, like you said, Kevin Pilar and company. I mean, Bautista, I'm not going to slag him again. I've done that on the last few shows, and I'm sure Dow's smiling because he knows he's he's a favorite whipping boy. He has to be. He's got 200, 300, 400 splits that you look at and you say to yourself, wow, that's $18 million in the twilight of your career. It's a it's a really sad story. But uh, But Chris, I'm wondering, when you look at this outfield, 
And when you look at the arrival of someone like a Teoscar Hernandez, I guess you, you really can't blame fans for getting too excited at the prospect of whether it's Hernandez as well as Alford. I mean, I'm hearing a lot of Anthony Alford Twitter chatter going on now in anticipation that hopefully he will be the cure that makes this outfield legitimate in 2018. Yeah, and I think fans have a lot of reason to be excited about those guys. Uh, You know, Alfred in particular, I think, has an even higher ceiling than Hernandez. But I think what always makes me laugh on Twitter, and and I get caught up in this once in a while too, is that, you know, people are so want to move on from the struggling veterans and hand the reins over to these young prospects. But, you know, those are the same people that aren't going to have a lot of patience when Anthony Alfred is striking out a lot, you know, at a uh, unfortunate clip for a young player. I'm, I'm not saying that he necessarily for sure will, but you know it takes time for these young guys to adjust to the big league game. And, and while Hernandez has played well since he's been called up, we can't expect this kind of consistent play across 162 games next year from him. And if we get it, then that's a tremendous bonus, and and we're very fortunate. But I don't think um, you know fans if they want the team to compete in 2018, which most of them do. Um, they have to both have realistic expectations for the young guys and also understand that, uh, you know, a guy like Alfred may need some more time as well before he's ready to be uh, a star or, you know, a real plus asset for the team. So it's, it's, it's more than understandable. I mean, we haven't, the defense has been poor from Batista, Pierce and, and company in the outfield corners and even Pilar's metrics are down. And then when you talk about the offensive numbers outside of Pierce, it hasn't been great from there either. So I don't blame them for wanting a change, but, um, but having the young guys in there full-time next year might not necessarily be an improvement for 2018. It will in the long run, I believe, but uh, people need that patience. I think that, that what uh, both Alfred and, uh, and, and Tay Oscar can, can add to this team, frankly, is uh, something, and I don't know if this is the dog or the rabbit uh, here for, for Kevin Pillar, but, um, you know, so, someone to either spur him to – to uh, to get um, more focused on playing better, or um, someone who can just basically uh, catch up to him and move past him. Um, uh, you know, I think that's going to be a, a big part of the story next year. Kevin Pillar is moving to a point of his career where, you know, in in arbitration, he's going to start to get more expensive. And what are the Blue Jays going to get out of him? I mean, tremendous defense for sure, but. Uh, they need for him to be uh, better at the plate than he has been. And he's kind of running out of rope, I think, uh, at this point. So, you know, I, I think that uh, there there is room for improvement with the Blue Jays outfield. I think that uh, potentially you could find yourself a pretty decent right fielder and, and maybe, you know, uh, they go back to the well with someone like Jay Bruce. Um uh, looking at him as a guy who could uh, come in and 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 uh, at least uh, play a really good offensive role for them as a as an outfielder, or you know, I mean, there's a bunch of guys. I mean, outfielders, uh, you know, it's not like you're talking about shortstops or catchers where finding you know uh, offensive performers is really difficult. Um, so. You know, I, I mean, I feel like they can be better than they have been this year. They're third from the bottom in the major leagues in terms of uh, uh, weighted on base, um, weighted on base, weighted runs created plus the outfielders uh, for Toronto. They're they're third from the bottom uh, in the league. So you know, I mean, there's there's nowhere to go but up. But I I, I guess the the trick is you know 
how do they get there? And and the, the Jays don't need to spend a lot. They they just need a, a consistent hitter, guy who's going to hit 280. Doesn't necessarily need power. Just needs to get on base on a consistent basis. Have a little bit of speed on the basis. I mean, those guys aren't terribly expensive. Unfortunately, corner outfield uh, are the easiest players to get. I just don't want to see band-aid solutions. I don't want to see the Jays say, oh, uh, let's think about moving Devin Travis into one of the corner outfields and let Teoscar Hernandez, uh, you know, rotate with another uh, outfielder. And this, and then it's band-aid solutions all over again. Let, let's get some consistency in the outfield and uh, let's get a guy who can actually hit the ball and get on base. Yeah, and, and you know, and to further this stuff too, that's how, going back to you talking about... Um, about the role that they can play in pushing Pilar, I completely agree. And I think next year we've got a situation where Pilar will be the starting center fielder at the beginning of the year. Steve Pierce is going to be in left field on a consistent basis. And, you know, Teoscar Hernandez is going to be competing for that right field job. Where I'd like to see Alfred, his biggest role next year is that if Pilar, like, you know, be on Pilar's footsteps, just like you said, and if he can handle it, then maybe – maybe by mid-season and if the season if the team isn't where they want to be then then it's the time for to move on because as you said the arbitration years are approaching and and it's uh things are definitely changing you know i've watched anthony alford we all have um all four of us i i think it's safe to say are very active in our understanding of prospects and how they develop in particular i know uh jeff you have always been an admirer of anthony alford i think that when you hit as a I think that when a center fielder hits 194 for 60 days, then Anthony Alford shouldn't have a problem being the, the dog and the rabbit, quite frankly, Dow. Um, my question to you is, we talked about speed. Shouldn't that really be a priority for this team when you consider that they're, they're the worst team for grounding into double plays? They're the worst team for stealing bases. They're one of the worst teams in doubles because they have guys who literally can't leg out extra base hits. Shouldn't that really be, if you were the GM, your number one priority to make this team more exciting, dynamic, and spontaneous for fans who can appreciate the multidimensionality of baseball that's largely ignored in Toronto? So definitely, I think that speed is something that they that they have to, to look at and, and certainly as they're they're adding in uh, whoever is coming in um, to, to, I guess, supplement the, the players who are in place now, uh, you know, you have to think that that is a priority. Um, and, and you're right. I mean, this is, a, this is a team whose slowness kind of compounds on itself. You know, I mean, it'd be one thing hmm. if, it was, if it was just uh, Kendris Morales, but the fact that it's, it, it, it's Batista followed by Morales, followed by Smoke, followed by uh, Steve Pierce. You know, it just it it's a uh, it, and you know I I I really dislike the 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 notion of hit and run and and some of that uh, sort of uh, small ball type approach to baseball. But I do think that you have to have guys who can get from first to third on a base hit or guys who can. Uh, who can at least get down the line and, and make a, a you know get de- get infield hits or 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 uh, stay out of double plays or or whatever it is. I guess the challenge with that though is how are you going to do that? Are you going to get like one stupendously fast guy like a Gerard Dyson and then like what do you do with him? Like you can't put him into the lineup at random uh, or just after somebody else has got on base. 
necessarily. So, you know, I mean, there are guys like Dyson who's on the market next year. I mean, Rajai Davis is a guy who uh, who I think uh, might have some sort of a fit here. But, you know, again, we're getting into these crowded left field, uh, right field uh, spots. And, you know, I, I, I guess if you think that this team needs to add, add athleticism, part of how they're going to have to add it is by subtraction. That was It's funny because we talked all offseason prior to the – part of this season's beginning that um, the team needed a more well-rounded approach and that was what was missing in the playoffs uh, in particular in 2015 and 16 and uh, you know while circumstances didn't allow for the Jays pursued guys like Dexter Fowler trying to become more well-rounded and in the end they signed uh, you know brought back Batista and brought in, in Steve Pierce and brought in Kendris Morales so we kind of went backwards that way and uh, you know not to say that that's the reason for for the team, you know, for the season going the way it has, but it certainly compounds the issue. And like you say, when there is really a lack of speed in the lineup altogether, outside of Kevin Pillar, I mean, Donald Simley's healthy runs okay for a third baseman, um, but beyond that, I mean, every everybody else is average or below average. So when you're struggling to see OBP issues, and then you know you see a bounding ball that could be an infield hit, and there's still three strides left before Morales gets there. It's just makes you shake your head eventually the more double plays and the more opportunities you see blown because of the lack of speed. Yeah, I mean, there's that old uh, scouting theory. You uh, you pay for power, uh, but you develop athleticism and speed. Um, and I think the, the speed is coming through the system. I think Alfred's still a year away, so he, he might be the ultimate solution, but he's not the answer for next year. I, I don't know. I, I think just team speed all around and athleticism. I mean, this team is still a power team, a power-hitting team that's just not hitting for power, and uh, it's showing. So we'll have to uh, wait and see. And that's a really good point, though, I think. You're right. Like, if if you're a team that's built for power, and, you know, to some extent, that's what Cleveland is this year. And they've gone on the streak yeah. where they've just been bashing the ball. Now, mind you, bashing the ball against the, the White Sox and the Tigers. So, yeah. um, you know, <laughs> excuse my, my skepticism on, on yeah. that level. But, um, but you know, if you, that's the thing about power is that if you're, if you're crushing homers like the Blue Jays did in 2015, uh, then, then it's great. And, uh, and, and to be honest, I think that that, that I, I would in some ways, um, rather see them just go whole hog on trying to up the power, uh, that this team has, as opposed to, um, as opposed to trying to, uh, to go through and, and, and add, speed here here or there or or guys on the bench maybe who can pinch hit or what have you i i don't know it, um the one thing though that I'll, I, I'll also say though is that with with alfred and um and uh, teoscar and uh, you know i think one of the things that this team is going to finally start to have that they haven't had for the last few years is some depth at triple a and some guys who they can park in AAA, and if they need to move them up because of injury, because of underperformance, or, or whatever it is, that they're going to have a little bit of extra cushion there. Whereas, you know, I mean, how many, how many weeks did we spend pining for Jason Lublebesian this year? You know, like, like I mean, I learned how to spell the man's name. That's how long we were sitting around <laughs> waiting for him to get called up, and. Uh, and, you know, I mean, and, and 
you know, this goes back a few years with these sort of uh, these guys who are like very marginal at best. I think that there's a little something out there that that's a bit more uh, enticing and, a, and and something to have some more optimism about uh, that's sitting right there as the next wave in behind whoever it is that they have on the 25 man on March 29th. Yeah, and you know, I like what you said, you know, about having the depth with Hernandez. Because I, I, as I was kind of saying earlier, I caution fans to expect him to be one of the big three outfielders next year on a competing team. I think he's certainly worth giving a chance to start, but it all depends on the philosophy the team kind of want to enters, wants to enter the year with. So in an ideal scenario, maybe you do have a veteran, um, you know, talk about Jay Bruce or maybe a Melky Cabrera is going to be a free agent. Maybe he's a contact hitter type that you could bring in, you know, and if, he were to if any of those outfielders were to deal with injury, Hernandez is the first guy called up, or maybe he's the fourth outfielder that plays three, four, or five times a week. Well, five's a bit much for a fourth outfielder, but you know, it's uh, I think it's a lot of pressure to put on them if they intend to compete next year. Quite frankly, I don't care who they get as long as it's a guy that can hit close to 300. <laughs> I mean, how scary is well, this? Easier said than uh, done. It's almost, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, uh, if we said at the beginning of the year, Justin Smoke was the only guy that was going to hit uh, close to 300 throughout the whole year. But, I mean, the rest of the lineup isn't even hitting close to 300. I mean, it's just... Let me, let me ask you this, Jeff, and just to play devil's advocate, would you rather have uh, seen Ezekiel Carrera in the lineup full-time this year? Because, you know, he's been hitting closer, better than average-wise than most people. Because I, I personally... Well, his, his defense I know some terrible. people have been asking for him. Yeah, no, I, that, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> <laughs> you know how many guys hit hit 300 in Major League Baseball this year? Uh, this year, well, as terrible. of today, as of today, there's 28 players who have hit uh, 300 uh, this mm-hmm. year. Wow. So, you know, I I I I wonder, and I don't know, maybe I can bore everybody by going back in single seasons in the in the past, but it just I I think hitting 300 is is it is not the same thing uh, that it meant, you know, back in 1988 when you know Tony Fernandez was doing it or or what have you. Um, someone's going to double check this and see that Tony hit like 279 that year. But anyways, whatever. <laughs> um, uh, my my point though uh, being that like it, it it is a way that the game has changed. That you know you have these guys who have these. Uh, 265, 275 batting averages, but then the uh, you know high 300 to low 400 OBP, um, and guys are just willing to give up uh, give up a certain number of outs, um, uh, you know, in favor of cranking uh, balls. And I guess you know that was one of the things that struck me about the game against Baltimore, where they had the the walk off win in the ninth inning, but they crushed about eight balls to the warning track. And it feels like that's so often the thing with the Blue Jays this year. They're just, they're hitting all these balls to the warning track and, and none of them are, are getting to the other side of the fence. So maybe the big thing that Rogers and, and the Blue Jays can do is take the fence, lower it down to seven feet and move it in about three feet all around. And <laughs> then they'll be cooking with fire next year. Or as my buddies always tell me when I do the same thing, one more workout, bud, one more workout. 
Well, and, and, and for the record, you did choose the one year where Tony hit under 300. He hit 287 and 88. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, 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 I knew that, before. but I needed to check because, you know, unless Google validates my suspicion, it's all, you know, all fact. But anyways, um, it's interesting to note that, uh, and Jeff, you mentioned this earlier, so I'm going to ask you to start. Is it too much to ask for depth? I mean, wasn't that really the Achilles heel of this entire season that as the injuries began to pile up and have now reached record a record pace because I think they've now had 26 or 27 different players on the Dell, how can you expect the fan base to buy into a competitive a competitive team that ends up putting in the Luke Maylies and the Rob F. Snyders of the world, players that clearly would never see the light of day in a major league franchise, if not for the fact that you've been caught completely flat-footed and don't have any depth. I think this all starts from a philosophy that Alex Anthopoulos, his regime had, and they drafted primarily pitching. And uh, I remember there was... Um, through uh, when I was with DeepLeagues.com, um, we reviewed a lot of times uh, their, their their first ten rounds. I think nine of their top ten picks would all be pitchers, and they had a philosophy of hey, it's harder to attract and more expensive to attract free agent pitchers, so we better start developing our own. And so they continued to draft pitchers and pitchers and pitchers. So the Jays had very little depth in their system as far as position players and I think that philosophy is starting to catch up with the Jays. There aren't too many position players within the organization that, I mean, outside of the 19, 20-year-olds you know, and then Dunedin and Lansing this year I mean, they can say, okay, well, this guy's a year away or uh, this guy, you know, he he can be that 4A guy he can play sometime in the major leagues and half the year in AAA um, but uh, the the Jays just they don't have that depth within the within the farm system, and they certainly don't have the deep pockets to go out and and purchase quality guys that are going to sit on the bench. Yeah, the part of that I would agree with is that there wasn't a pile in there wasn't a pile of developed depth in AAA. But uh, you know you're right, we are seeing a resurgence in the system now. There's you know I I personally think that the Jays are starting to become one of the stronger position player systems but it's all it's a lot of it's in the lower rungs and it's not mm-hmm. just the Vladimir Guerrero's and the Bo Bichette's. you know there's other guys out there too the Edward Alvarez's and the Bradley Joneses and and the Danny Jansons that I think uh, are all going to be great major league players or at least uh, at least serviceable major league players but I you know I do agree with you there was a, a few years where their focus was definitely on pitching uh, but you know I I remember Fantopoulos talking about having a glut of pitching is never a bad thing either because you know it allowed it allows you to make some trades to to shore up that position player depth and that's exactly what <laughs> yeah. we saw happen bringing in Troy Tulowitzki a few years ago granted you know in a time machine it's uh it's hard to look at uh you know what we gave up and see what where we're at now but uh, he was crucial mm-hmm. in that 2015 run as well so yes. who knows it's uh it's it's one of those things i guess once upon a time this organization gave up a player that would end up having a near Hall of Fame career in Jeff Kent in order to go for it, and it worked out. I mean, Dow, isn't history very fickle that way, that sometimes you just go for it and it doesn't work out? And did that have, did that factor into Rogers' mentality when they decided to go with Shapiro and ultimately not retain AA? I'm wondering, was there a fear that 
it's, there's going to be a gap now. We're going to have a developmental gap because we've traded away all those pitchers that we've developed for stars who can play today, and now we're well behind position player expectations for maturity. Well, I'm not. I, I'm not sure that the the equation was was one between uh, between Alex and Shapiro. I mean, uh, I, I, I do think that they what they thought that they were going to get was uh was Shapiro and Alex and you know and I think that that does maybe speak to uh the fact that they maybe hadn't really looked at it that closely and thought it through and thought of 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 how this was uh going to play out but then again when they hired Shapiro remember the Blue Jays were under 500 and uh were kind of looking like a disappointing team in uh, 2015. I remember in May of 2015 walking around downtown uh, Toronto talking with a member of the the, the press corps uh, that surrounds the Blue Jays and we were sort of looking at it like is tomorrow the day that Gibby gets cut loose? Is it the day after? Um, so uh, I guess bringing it back to your question, I'm not sure uh, I, I, I don't think that anyone would, would hand back the experience that we had in 2015 and to some extent no. in 2016, and and you know, uh, I think I was probably the scolding auntie who everybody hates, who was saying, "Well, one of these days, this is going to come back and bite <laughs> us in the ass." And and I guess it kind of has, you know. But I actually don't think that this team has to go and spend years off in the wilderness trying to to rebuild. I think that there's a way for them to be able to to both um, build what we always wanted to, which was a long-term sustainable team, a long-term sustainable talent, talent system that was going to uh, feed through to the major leagues and be perpetually competitive. Uh, but at the same time, I think that they can also do that and pull together a team that like, is a true talent 85-win team. And if they go on a good streak and July 31st comes along and, and they're right in it or, or maybe can uh, can can see that they can that they can uh, win, then fine. Like uh, sell off and go for it. But I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I mean, you you have to give something to get something, and and, yeah. uh, and that's uh, sort of where uh, I think that this team is. But having said that, I mean, take a look at all the players who they gave up. I mean, it's. You know, Daniel Norris is a project right now in in Detroit, yep. and uh, and uh, you know, there. I mean, uh, there's there's very few of those guys who you can look back at and say, "Wow, that's a guy that I wish we had." And even someone like Miguel Castro, who is with the 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 Orioles now, I took a look at him over the last couple of days, and when he comes in, it's like, "Man, it'd be nice to have that guy still in our bullpen." But you know what? He got let go by the the Rockies, who the Blue Jays traded him to. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't it, I mean, baseball is, baseball is fickle, and, you know, most years you're going to end up going home disappointed for one reason or another. So, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe people should get into tennis. Maybe that's the answer. <laughs> I know Chris yeah, and, and I, I have different clarify. philosophies. No, no, I was just going to say, I just wanted to clarify, too. I wouldn't trade wouldn't trade the experience of 2015 and 16 back for for any of it by any means, especially like you say the 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 players that we traded for to Litsky and for David Price. While they were great prospects, and while there's still some potential that they'll turn work out, 
it hasn't been like we've traded away Noah Syndergaard, uh, and even him. I mean, he's he's been on the disabled list all year as well for the most part. So it's um, yeah, it's tough when you when you feel like you maybe traded away the world, but it's not as bad as not as bad as it maybe feels like some days. I mean, uh, I mean, I've had discussions with Ari. Um, you know, I, I think uh, Alex Anthopoulos is, and this is just my personal opinion. I think he probably knew he was going to be out the door. I think he said, "Screw it, I'm going to go for it all." And if that means I'm going to trade the farm system that I that I built up, so be it. But uh, you know, this might be my last year, so I'm going to uh, I'm going to go for it, and I don't blame him. And again, yeah, the the 2015 and 2016 were really really excited. And if you're going to go for it, don't be half pregnant. Go all the way in. And I've said to Ari on numerous occasions, I said, I just fear that the Jays are going to sell all of their prospects and end up like the Philadelphia Phillies, you know, where five years they're just going to stink and have to rebuild that farm system, rebuild the talent pool. And, uh, you know, because, I mean, Philadelphia went for it and uh, uh, about a decade ago, and, and they're still paying for it. So, hey, they got Pat Gillick into the Hall of Fame, but... Uh, <laughs> Sometimes you got to make those sacrifices, and and I can uh, I can build a starting staff from all the pitchers that Alex Anthopoulos uh, traded away. But uh, you know we still have some uh, pretty good ones in uh, Stroman and Sanchez. I I don't think it's a worthwhile analogy to to use Pat Gillick uh, as an example, considering that Pat Gillick spent a good a better part of of the 80s trying to develop the farm system, as we know. And I think at the end. I agree with you that the mentality was, okay, I might lose my job soon. Management ownership is expecting results. The fans are expecting results. He pulled the trigger, made the trades, great things happen. But sometimes I think you'll agree, Chris, it's not the decisions we make that we come to regret, but it's the ones that we don't make. And can can the four of us here agree right now that the decision not to sign Edwin, irrespective of whether or not you were from the camp that believed that he played too hard to get or that the organization didn't want him back as, as originally intended, Chris, is that now looking back at him with all of his prosperity and the 21-game winning streak in Cleveland, which is so just, it's unfathomable for me to even digest what that means, considering we're celebrating a five-game winning streak. Chris, should we not have signed him and avoided this whole pierce Kendris morales experiment in the first place? You know what? Your, your my answer might surprise you, but um, I, I truly believe that us not re-signing and Encarnacion was a blessing in disguise. And that's not to say that I really do think that. And the reason I say that is because I don't think Justin Smoke gets full-time at-bats this season if uh, if we had re-signed him. Whether or not Steve Pierce is in the equation or not, um, I just don't think Justin Smoke would have been given the opportunity that he that he was given. And considering that, um, you know, we've got Smoke under contract for a little over $4 million next year with an option for $6 million the year following, uh, when, when Cleveland's still going to be paying Edwin $20 million a year, I don't think Edwin would have been the difference maker this year. And it's not to say that he wouldn't have made a tremendous impact on the team. He certainly would have. But uh, I don't know that we we would have Justin Smoke and have him for the bargain that we do. And I can't, you know, if, if uh, the guy, if me, the version of me in April was hearing me say this now, he'd be just like freaking out. But it, but, uh, but I honestly think that would be the case. And, and having another $20 million contract on the payroll wouldn't necessarily be helpful even if Encarnacion is still a tremendous asset. I mean, Ari, I was on record at the beginning of the year that I thought uh, Kendris Morales and um, Edwin Encarnacion would have similar numbers at the end of the year. I mean, obviously Edwin has a little more power, 
and uh, RBI numbers, but I mean their averages are. I mean, okay, they're ten points off, but uh, you know, obviously uh, Edwin is on a more competitive team, which certainly helps your numbers. But I think uh, getting Morales at eleven million uh, versus the twenty million with Edwin, you know, on paper it looked good. I'm just not sure if it affected uh, chemistry. I do think that there is some legitimacy to the comment about the fact that. Uh, you know, it's entirely possible that maybe they walk away from Justin Smoke uh, at the end of spring training if they uh, if they had Edwin back and and they had a roster crunch. So, um, and, and you know, if, if the equation is between Justin Smoke and Edwin and, and Carnacion, then uh, I do think that uh, you know the the Blue Jays have made out okay. You know that they that for for you know two more years and ten million total, they've got. A guy who's really um, uh, looked looked much better and like a much uh, like a player who's taken a, a significant step forward. But you know, I, I and Ari, I think I probably said this to you before. I forget if it was if we were recording or not. But um, you know, you look at this team with uh, Edwin instead of Kendris and and uh, Dexter Fowler instead of uh, yeah. Jose Batista. And that's a really different team. Now, mind you, I'm not sure that you can do that uh, and uh, have Steve Pierce. But even that, I mean, I think you'd give up Steve Pierce to be able to have uh, those two guys. Um, I don't even remember. I know Dexter Fowler got off to a, a bad start. So maybe maybe he, he isn't the sort of magic elixir that this team needed. But... Um, you know, uh, I was Team Kendrys right out of the gate and thought that he was going to be uh, something uh, that Blue Jays fans would come around to love, and now I'm kind of dreading the idea of two more years of Kendrys Morales unless we can somehow convince the Oakland A's to maybe take him off our hands while we pay for him or something along those lines. I mean, I predicted at the beginning of this year he was going to be a between 260, 270 hitter. He was going to be a 30 home run, 100 RBI guy. I mean, his RBIs are behind, but uh, he's still going to hit 30 home runs, and uh, that's what you pay for. You pay for the power. Well, and unfortunately his speed, and his lack of speed rather, is magnified by um, the way the team plays, baseball station to station. Uh, Kendris Morales on a balanced team where you've got contact hitters in front of him and maybe behind him is a radically different hitter. I mean, the one thing I think we can all agree is that the Blue Jays' plan to have switch hitters make an impact, for the most part, worked out beautifully this year. I loved watching games where Smoke and Morales were hitting back-to-back and basically forcing pitchers and managers to adjust to them. And when both of them are going, as was the case with Smoke throughout most of the year and, and Kendris in the early part of the year, there was this real sense that you had some kind of a progressive lineup now, of course, with the injuries and the, the repression and underachievement of many players, it's like a carnival, a carnival of lost souls, I told an industry friend a few days ago, and he laughed because it just sounded like something out of some kind of weird, really bad you know, science fiction novel. Um, this was a plan that clearly didn't work this year, Dow. Now, looking to next year and appreciating the fact that chemistry, we talked about chemistry just a few moments ago. This is going to be a 2018 team that looks to have the same leadership group intact, specifically a Tulewitzki, a Martin, and a Donaldson. 
does that at least give maybe you some solace in thinking that, hey, with those three stewards leading them, with those three bannermen, that young kids and young you know, rookies will rally around them and perhaps learn how to play a better brand of competitive baseball for these suffering fans? I don't know. I mean, chemistry is a really hard thing to nail down. And, you know, sometimes there's a notion that there's a lack of maturity. And I don't know, I'm getting to that point in my life where I'm a cranky old guy and I can tell what, uh, what, <laughs> what you know, three cranky old guys in a room could could do if things aren't going well or going right. So, you know, I, I don't I, I don't know that absolutely saying, well, there's the veteran presence that's going to sort of steer the ship. Um, uh, you know, sometimes, uh, like I, I, I look at, uh, at a team like, uh, like the Astros and, you know, they've had their ups and downs and struggles and so has everybody. I mean, God, the Dodgers, like everyone's looking at the Dodgers now, the team that has the most wins in major league baseball and everyone's certain this team is just, is just about to flame out. Like every team stinks for long periods of time or for at least periods of time in the running yeah. of baseball season. That's the, the sort of mercilessness of baseball. But, um, you know, do I think that the, that uh, a strong, stable veteran presence is going to, to guide this team forward? Uh, not really. I don't. I, I, I actually don't think that's what's going to get the Blue Jays to the next phase where they need to be. I think it's, going to be a, a, a group of emerging young talents who come up together, uh, who um, uh, have a level of, of, of guidance, uh, but, you know, um, but who are really sort of uh, self-driven people. And that's part of the stuff that I love hearing about Bo Bichette and Vlad Guerrero, is that, that these guys are, these are smart guys. There's a comment that Bo Bichette made in, in the Baseball America uh, article about them that it just it it had maturity about hitting that I don't think that I've heard from you know a whole number of uh, these Cowboys who the Blue Jays bring in uh, like uh, like Pilar or Lori or Aaron Sebia or whoever yeah. who just think that they're just going to like grip and rip their way through a major league career and you see what's happening to these guys so. Like, uh, I, I, I think maturity doesn't necessarily come with age. Um, uh, and, and sometimes um, uh, there's a fine line between wisdom and cynicism. And I think that, uh, that you know, what I, what I foresee is a Blue Jays team that is a bunch of the uh, emerging talents who come up together, who like playing together, and who want to win together. I agree with you, Dal. And you know, and further to that point, I think if there's if there's not enough leadership in this room already, you know, guys like Russell Martin were brought in, uh, and that was a big part of why he was brought in. We need to solidify the catching position, but you know, he, the biggest thing flying his flag when he came in was that every team he was on made it to the playoffs for years, and and that now certainly was the case for the first two years that uh, he was here as well. So if, there should be more than enough veteran voices in the room and uh, you brought up the example of the Astros as well that's a young group and while they do have a few key veterans you know they it's uh, there should be more than enough leadership in this clubhouse to get it done and if there isn't well then that's when that's when changes are made and and uh, you know these new groups come up and these and uh, reset things and the next generation takes over I'm just hoping uh, <laughs> I'm just hoping it's something a little more simpler I, I think once the pitching staff gets 
reorganized and can pitch consistently without any injuries, um, then uh, I, I'm hoping all the other things will fall into place because we still next year under contract still have three really good competent pitchers uh, in Sanchez, Stroman, and Happ. Um, they need to be healthy all year. Um, can't have Sanchez next year um, on the DL. Yeah. Um, you know, short periods here and there, spot starts is no big deal, but uh, he's got to pitch consistently next year, and those three pitchers need to set the tone for the whole season. Well, we'll certainly see what happens. And uh, when we, as, as lovers of this game, see teams both succeed and fail, we learn a lot from them. I'm looking at these Cleveland Indians, and I'm thinking to myself, they found the piece they needed, 21-game winning streak, outscoring opponents 139-35, to 35, which when you process from a baseball perspective makes you appreciate, again, to your point, Dow, what a merciless season it can be, the highs and the lows. This was a year of consistent frustration for the fans. We can only hope that management reads into the mentality, the psyche of some of, the, of this frustration and starts prescribing the kinds of solutions that make fans, the real fans, appreciate what this team is capable of in the years to come. Let's go around the table now and talk about what you gentlemen are up to and where my listening audience can find you on social media. Let's go with Chris, Jeff, and then Dal. As always, you can find uh, my work at jaysjournal.com. We've got a lot of great writers, uh, including Mr. R. Spiro, that uh, do contributions on a daily or weekly basis. Um, you can check, find out, uh, or you can find me on Twitter at baseball for brains, and uh, it's baseball number four, and then brains. Um, yeah, I'm going to be working on a piece, finishing it up tonight, just talking about a prediction of what kind of contract demands Marco Estrada might be looking at uh, coming into this off season. So that's uh, you can always follow us there, and look forward to that one. I myself, uh, you can find me on Twitter at gfalbo13. Um, I just do uh, freelance work. Um, nothing specific, like to keep my options open. For me, uh, more often than not, you'll find me on Twitter, although I've kind of laid off lately. Uh, I have a uh, an Instagram account, which, uh, again, is at Dow of Steed. Uh, there are three photos on it, and I don't know why I have this account, but apparently <laughs> that was an idea that I had one day. Uh, and aside from that, Fridays at uh, Rogers Sportsnet, Nobody calls it Rogers Sportsnet. I don't know. Oh, sorry. Uh, so Fridays at Sportsnet. Uh, I have a column usually in the early afternoon, uh, so you can enjoy that on a patio with your friends, or you can read it before them and pass all my good ideas off as your own. You have been listening to the Jays Journal Roundtable Podcast with three brilliant baseball minds, Jeff Falbo of DeepLeagues.com, Chris Henderson of Jays Journal, and Dow Steve of Rogers Sportsman. Gentlemen, thanks for joining me. Have a good one. Pleasure's always. Thanks, all right. All right.